Tonight I'd like to talk about the beautiful practice of generosity. And it's said that there were very few teachings that the Buddha taught without beginning by offering the teaching and the importance of the teaching of generosity. When he taught a series of practices for people to engage in as they were progressing along the path, the Buddha always started by talking about the importance of the benefit of generosity. And he then offered the practice of sila, moral conduct, ethics. And it is said that these two practices are really the foundations for meditation. Then, of course, he would go on and teach about insight practice or calm, samadhi. So it's really interesting that in the West, at least at the beginning, when I began my meditation practice, we'd hear a lot about meditation and not so much about sila. Of course, we'd take the precepts, but it wasn't something that was talked about when the teachings were presented. And Waldadana was offered at the end just as a way of receiving dana for the teachings that were offered, not really as a practice. And clearly, we sense, after some years, the need and the beautiful qualities that can emerge from practicing these perfections, paramis. And generosity is the first of these perfections. These paramis are wholesome qualities that we each have in our minds and heart. And they're particularly wholesome because they allow us to purify the heart and mind. We grow and we progress on the path in accomplishing these practices if they embody our hearts and mind. So I'll just mention them so that really, at times, I think it's important as you're sitting here to reflect if they're present. And we have been talking clearly of all of them at one point or another. So the first is generosity and then morality. Renunciation, energy, patience, truthfulness. Then there is the practice of resolution, determination, love and kindness, equanimity, and wisdom. Ten qualities that we are familiar with. So we're all familiar with the word dana, which refers to the act of giving and to the donation itself. Now, the Buddha also used another word in relationship to generosity, and that word in Pali is less heard. It's the word which in Pali is named kaga. And kaga means the personal attribute, or it's that inner disposition of heart to be generous. It's this attitude of inner virtue, of generosity that will ensure that the donation will be done in respect or in accordance to the path. So what does that mean? What it means is that the practice of kaka or generosity in the intention of really motivating ourselves to know what it is that motivates this offering. And the meaning of this world also has the significance of relinquishing, of renunciation, 
of letting go. Knowing, being aware of that attitude of the mind that when there's an offering, there's also that extraordinary possibility of letting go. Now, of course, right understanding appears here as we're aware of that presence of wholesome roots. We call that the three wholesome roots that are cultivated again and again, which counteract or which oppose the three unwholesome roots. And what are the three wholesome roots? Well, they're generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And they counteract which three unwholesome roots? Greed, hatred, and delusion. They're their opposites. So on our path, we can try to see during our days here, as we're really connecting with the truth of each moment, to notice if there is a sense of cultivating these wholesome roots. And we can exchange the word root for the word mind state or state of mind, meaning that it's very possible that we just notice the wholesome states of mind that clearly will lead to wholesome actions. The Buddha pointed to the spiritual power of a gift which is offered from that sense, that attitude of really meeting ourselves in the truth of what is. And what does it mean? Well, he said that there are two qualities that we need to see manifest within ourselves, meaning that there are two ways. One is the relinquishment of self-interest when we offer. And that means that we don't offer in a way that there's in the mind the little thought, the little voice that says, oh, what can I get in return? What can I get back? The second way is to stretch a little bit the act of giving itself, giving a little more than is what is required, meaning that we practice this act of giving of one's self out of a sense of really offering to the other without that self-referencing. So generosity then opens us a space of much greater strength. It opens a space in the mind that nurtures pliability. There's comfort. There's ease. And that's really natural. It's not something very difficult to understand. If there's ease in our relationship that we can let go and offer whatever it is, there will be a sense that goes and works in the direction of wisdom. Very naturally, this will manifest. And that's how there's a true transformation of the heart and mind. Often we can ask ourselves, you know, how does it happen that really there's a sense that my practice is progressing and that I can trust that it is transforming, that I'm not just whirling in circles? Well, that's exactly where I think we have, we can get a sense of where it is that we can value and appreciate if there's a state of well-being at times. Well, it can be happening from that space of allowing, of offering. And then, clearly, there will be a sense of wealth, of abundance, Not because there's a lot that is happening, but we consciously know the joy of letting go. So it's said that generosity leads to happiness. And only because it leads to the freedom from the habitual tendencies that we know so well. 
the habitual tendency of craving and clinging, to keep, to hoard. And of course, in relationship to generosity, this applies to material things, but it also applies to meditative experiences, some expectation of accumulating good states, for example, in our practice. Just because there's a sense maybe that there's wanting and there's this sense of not having enough. And to notice, if there is that sense of not having enough, well, can we incline the mind towards the wholesome mind state of generosity and open and not be so concerned with what's going to happen next? In our lives, this also can manifest. What is an obstacle to being generous in our life? When we are preoccupied, when we're very concerned with what we have, and that maybe is not enough. Now there's a sense that maybe it's legitimate to worry or to just sit down and see what do I have in accordance with what I need in the future, maybe for my retirement, for my holidays, and to investigate what is it that I really need from a space of wisdom, from a space of wise reflection. But a lot of the time when we reflect on the need and what we'll need for tomorrow or even in 10 years from now, there can be the sense of fear. And then from that space of fear, of course, it will never be enough. And therefore, we need then to challenge that belief and to question. So this is, of course, in our culture, very apparent how much we're preoccupied with Recording and gaining and accumulating. But there's a short tale from the Middle Age that really shows that this is not only from our times, not only uh, in the 21st century. This is a short tale. It says, A rich merchant finds a beautiful young woman for his son to marry. And the son and his wife come and live with the merchant. After a few years, the rich merchant decides to retire from the business and lets his son take care of it. But the daughter-in-law complains to her husband that his father is no longer of use and the merchant is put in a very small room above the stable. And then she says, it's no use to feed him anymore. And after some time, she decides to kick him out of the house. But her son is with her. And the daughter-in-law gives the man, her father-in-law, a blanket and a horse. But the small boy tells his mother to cut the blanket in half. And she thinks it's a little too hard on the man. She says, well, not that far. But the boy insists. Why, asks the mother, do you want to cut the blanket in half? And the boy says, I want to keep a piece of it for when you will be old and you'll be chased out of my house. And so the woman understands the boy's point. And she takes back her father-in-law, giving him what he deserves. So that's really the wisdom of children, where there isn't that sense of all for me, all for myself. There is that sense of wisdom, of care, of loving kindness in a way that some of us lose when we grow up. And in that story, there's clearly also the law of karma, right? That action of the woman, well, really shows how a few years later, she would get the result of the karma that she was imposing on her father-in-law.
in my early years of practice, I worked a little and wanted to meditate a lot, a lot, many months of practice. And to do that, I went to Asia because there wasn't much in the West then. And it was interesting how I had the tendency unconsciously to count my money, to really count each penny to stretch the time so that I could meditate the longest possible and stay the longest in Asia and not come back. And I could notice more and more in the mind that poverty and that feeling of being poor. And also noticing that the cultivation of an attitude towards that made me feel more and more restrained, more and more helpless in a way, of, and the feeling of not having. And when I realized that, I said, well, you know, let me just offer and give. And there were kind of many, many ways that I could do that in Asia, of course, and be less concerned about what amount I would have to stay in Asia. As soon as I practiced in a different way and released the heart, there was this intention of being generous. There was a new energy. And it was amazing to feel that difference, that my practice had plateaued and had really attained a certain state because I was containing every single thing that was inside me was contained in the same way that I was acting in my life. And so a shift really happened. And a few weeks later, an incredible gift was offered just to show me the lawfulness of the Dhamma, of the wheel of the Dhamma. I received a letter from a very dear friend, and there was a check with quite some money to support my practice. And it was just so interesting to see that there was no need to worry. And if I had to let go, and I could let go, and I did, that moment, something else flourished. So from that space of openness, there was no longer an obstacle that manifested in the fact of being generous. And we probably each have a teaching that shows us that we can refer to and that shows us so well where we are able to relate to a sense of genuine generosity or the reverse. Now, another example that is given that we think that, oh, generosity, it really won't make a big difference is the belief that that little thing that we will do in the vastness of the universe suffering, it really won't matter. It won't make any change. And yes, that little action does make a change. And that is exactly how powerful the mind can get when it realizes this. And here again, I have an example where in Geneva, there are many, many homeless people. And since 10 years, it's incredible with what happened in Eastern Europe, in the Balkans. It's just amazing. We've never had situations like this, but in the center of the city now, there are people that are really in the need. And I made a vow that I would not let one moment pass by without offering attention to a beggar, homeless person that is in the street. Now, this is a wonderful practice that I took on. Because it doesn't mean only just offering that little penny and not acknowledging the person. It can really mean 
being there with the person, looking at the person and seeing that it's a human being just like me and offer a smile. And it's so incredible when you, when I did that because I wasn't used to do that because there wasn't really the possibility or the... Um, situation was not manifesting. But what I receive is every single time that there's a little moment that is shared, what is sensed is that that person is recognized as a person. And it's much more valuable to that human being than the material aspect, than what is offered. And so there's an encounter there. And suddenly, there's a sense of a human meeting another human. And that brings joy. It just brings a lot of joy. And there are many in the neighborhood where I live, and some of them, I really have just joy at the intention of meeting these people. They really become friends and part of my life. The Buddha said that giving brings happiness at every stage of the path. So what that means is that he says there are three things of value for one who gives. Not only when there is the act of giving. He says before giving, the mind of the giver is happy. That means that as we hold the intention to be generous, the heart is already in a joyful state. There's this sense of, oh, I'm going to offer this. I'm going to meet this person just exactly like I described a moment ago. Then the second step is while giving, the mind of the giver is made peaceful. And it brings peace to the mind because there's simply an act of letting go of clinging, peace of non-attachment. And the third is, the Buddha says, having given, the mind of the giver is uplifted. It can rejoice, and we are just happy remembering the act of generosity. And that's really a way that we can expand the meaning of the second precept There's a virtue in refraining from taking what is not given. But there's the active side of that precept. Like each one of them, these precepts have an active side. And the active side is not only to refrain from not doing harm, to refrain from not taking, but to cultivate the space of generosity, and cultivate the virtue of extending generosity. And again and again, the Buddha expresses this in the sutras to lay people. It's just so important, he says, that you manifest this act. And it's particularly touching when you go to Asia, and I don't know if some of you have gone to Asia, but that particular quality is just so present, so embedded in the people that live in the Buddhist countries, in Burma, in Thailand, in Bali. It's such an ancient tradition that you can feel the container, the vessel, of that beautiful quality emerging everywhere. And really, it manifests so clearly in so many ways. Just last January, I was in Burma, and I went through the customs and immigration office in Yangon, in Burma, and the officer there said, oh, you have a meditation visa. This was two years ago. And he 
says, you're going to meditate. And I said, yes, I'm going to a meditation center. And he said, the officer said, oh, I went three months ago for two weeks. Isn't that wonderful that we can share? And it's true that an officer, police officer, people that are in the government will go and practice. It's really a common thing to go to a monastery. And to witness that act of sharing is one that really brings an attitude of heart which is clear in the reality of their lives. It's not some practice that we just do on the cushion. It's really lived fully in the intensity of everyday life. And you witness that in the monastery over and over again. So what it brings is that there's also the understanding in that culture that because there's a cultivation of generosity, there's also a source of joy for the giver because of the accumulation of merit, because of the law of karma. And this will bring long-term benefits. There's a sense that it will bring forth to the giver as much joy as the one that receives, and vice versa. And so our actions have consequences, and that's exactly what happens in the moment of giving. The giver can sense this powerful source of accumulation of merit and of cultivating that wholesome quality. And it's really something that is very manifest because people don't do it because they have to. There's a real joy and happiness. And it's just so apparent in their way of delighting before, during, and after the, after the giving. Just like the Buddha expressed. Now, in Asia, this tradition of dana is clearly beginning at a very early age. They're born with the practice of dana. And this last January, I had the opportunity to go at the end of the almsram. The monks were going every morning on Amsram. The villagers were offering rice to the monks for the monastery. And that would benefit everyone that was staying in the monastery. And one morning at the end of my stay there, uh, I chose to just follow them and to see, to see the beautiful quality that was manifested there. And it was amazing. There wasn't a hut or a house where there was no one in front of their homes waiting for the monks to come forth and just serving a scoopful of white rice in every bowl of every monk. And little kids who were not even two were already present and bowing and having that intention (laughs) and playfully were offering the monks, but with so much happiness. And there was one little boy that I saw that wasn't even two. And he was giving, offering to one of the monks some rice and doing the offering. And the little brother that was like nine months or ten months of course, couldn't do the offering, but had his an open. And he was there, and you could just see already that he was having the gesture of open-handed offering. And then, very spontaneously, they'd bow down. Little, little kids, you know, two, three years old, and having a lot of fun. I don't think it was because they needed to, because their parents told them to. There were no parents nearby, many of them. 
So it was just so manifesting that this was joyful. And so they're trained. Every single morning, they are outside and they're waiting. Now, one thing that I didn't know, (laughs) fortunately, is that um, the people that are lay people at the end of the Amram have goodies for the children (laughs) and that offer in return to the children and that, unfortunately, I didn't know. So it's also part of um, the offering and the receptivity. So they were kind of looking at me and saying, don't you got something for me? But um, I heard this later on. So next time. <laughs> Meaning that when the Buddha expressed this, he said, in giving, there is receiving. And that is the whole practice of generosity when it's understood as a process of full circle and there isn't that sense of contraction or of separateness that if I'm giving there's something that's going to be lacking in me. So no sense of self-centeredness. That's of course the ultimate the best way to give. The Buddha says, if you knew what I know about the benefit of generosity, you wouldn't let one meal go by without sharing it. In other words, it's also translated as, if beings knew, as I know, the benefit of generosity, they would not let an opportunity go by without sharing So this is a great teaching, at least for me. I wasn't brought up. I don't know, maybe you have the spontaneity of generosity being brought up in that field of good-heartedness. But I think that for most of us, we're deeply conditioned to identify ourselves with what we have being outwardly and inwardly. I have these belongings and this becomes who I am with my belongings. And it's quite a limited view. It really makes the mind a little fixated and not dynamic and sticky. And I think it takes quite a lot of courage to move out of that space of identification with what we have. And so it requires quite a courage to already move ourselves from that state and take on a spiritual path, whatever it may be, or maybe not even spiritual, but a path that invites us to really see beyond the conditioning and to notice and to live from a space of impermanence that what lies underneath this identification, what lies underneath the conditioning of attachment is not so reliable. I think that today in the West, the tradition of dana, of living with the eyes of interconnectedness, of sharing, is really enlivened. And these essential qualities of generosity and loving kindness and wisdom are present more and more. We're really interested in building these qualities including generosity. And they're very manifest in our Buddhist communities. You can take this example of this place right here where we're sitting. It is present at this beautiful center is the result of an act of dana, of an act of generosity. 
the teachings that are offered here are based on the practice of dana. The staff's generosity is incredibly profound to serve it's an example for me of a cause of the deepest gratitude for the staff, that they're really in alignment with the teachings. And your practice, the yogis, yourself practicing here, offering your minds, your bodies to see the truth. And then to share this with all beings. So I think this makes for a beautiful web of interconnectedness. And it's a powerful force if we cultivate this endless circle of appropriate conditions that nurture compassion and wisdom. In a way, we're all serving the Dhamma. This is really for the service of the Dhamma and that the Dhamma isn't dying in this way, but can only flourish and keep on flourishing. The Buddha says, the greatest gift is the act of giving itself. And all these ways that I mentioned are acts of giving. And they themselves allow for us all to receive the benefits. So it's not only giving, but we do receive the benefits. And these are immeasurable. When we are genuinely generous, we're loved by others. It said that there isn't any fear when people are close to us because there's no fear of our presence, because there's an open heart, a heart that is full of kindness, is a kind heart that can rejoice in the benefit, in the sharing. Now, it is a custom that we share the merits, and that's also an act of rejoicing. Altogether, wishing all who have offered to be happy, to be well, and then genuinely reflect on the goodwill, on the act of rejoicing. So often we do it, and then we just forget, pass on to something else. Not really receiving that act of rejoicing. And I think that's the way that more and more we can balance out the negative states, if we look a little closer at the goodness, at the benefits of being generous. And that means not dwelling so much on the wrong, but really inclining the mind and heart to see the goodness, to really value our work here. This is exactly what we're doing now. So we can value this, and when we're in the world, we'll value other wholesome actions. The act of offering is said to happen in a three-degree offering. It has three forms. So often the first one is the one we know well. It's called one-handed giving or beggarly giving. And that is when there's still a resistance to give, We still hold on, and it may be that we give because we should. You know, oh, I really should, but I don't really want. So there's not a full participation in that act of giving. But yet, there's a sense of giving. In India, I witnessed this. There was a, I'm in my early 20s, there was a great sense of offering and of wanting to be generous to everyone in the street. And it's so populated, there's no end <laughs> to the possibility of offering to people. And there's pressure. And so 
I could notice in my mind the demands and how they were welcomed by me, my mind. At a certain point, it would shift. You know, I would really be able to give very, very kindly and very wholesomely for some time, and suddenly there was this closing of the heart. I'm giving just to have a sense of peace and to not be bothered, simply. So to notice the difference in the mind, and there clearly is one. The second degree is called friendly giving, and that's when we give open-handedly. We just share what we have. There's a clarity. We share what we have, and it's natural. It's a clear giving. And the third is called kingly or queenly giving, and that means giving the best that we have without having any instinctively not having any sense of I won't have any understanding that when we're offering the best this is the reality of letting go of all our possessions now it's possible to do this when we really have a clear sense of selflessness and understanding of impermanence out of state of spaciousness there's that possibility of not referencing to self and when that is the case then it's very easy and at times it does happen that there's kingly or queenly giving the metaphor is one of the sun that shines on everything and doesn't have any sense of keeping the brightness to itself. It will shine on every little bit of the earth. No part left out. Just a pure openness. There's a purity in that. Now we practice to understand the way things are. This is really the aim of our practice. And it's helpful to remember to blossom our hearts in generosity, to see the way things are, to see the truth. But it's also helpful to have a pace that is appropriate for us. And so it's really important not to think that if I'm not kingly or queenly giving and I'm only beggarly giving, I'm not a good person. It has nothing to do with this. There absolutely is no notion of good or bad. What we need to remember here is that it's mostly important to be sincere and to be honest with ourselves, to really know where we are on this path of generosity and respecting our capacity of the heart. At any given moment, this can change. The situation shifts so quickly. And whatever it is that is our capacity, that's perfect in that moment. So it's important then not to to pretend something other than what is. And that's a tricky one. You know, we can tend to pretend that something is created from a space of wanting, pretending that we're inclining towards insincerity to be someone else than who we are and create an ideal. An ideal can be a spiritual person, an ideal of a spiritual meditator, and then pretend. So I think that genuine, authentic giving can only spring forth from the reality of where we are, allowing awareness to really see clearly what is happening. 
And when there isn't the space of being generous in the sense of allowing, then what is there? Often there's fear, there's judgment, there's a reaction, there's an absence of ease, there's a feeling of being hurt. And then the act of giving is just one of offering to ourselves the space to feel that, to feel those states. Those states are gifts for us. The difficult moments are the moments where we can most be awake, that are the source for us to understand ourselves the best. It hurts, and it's okay. And the fact that it's okay, that's already a gift of opening to what is rather than staying closed. And that's a great act of generosity. That moment, then, is just born out of compassion, out of loving-kindness, of care. When we cultivate this truth to see ourselves fully and to meet ourselves, every aspect of ourselves, then very naturally, very spontaneously, our engagement in the world will be healthier. We'll connect to others in honesty and respect the other because we'll have respected ourselves. Therefore, we know what it means to respect. And that's the truth that matures into wisdom. The highest form of generosity is, of course, letting go of the sense of self. And that is done through our Dharma practice here. And here again, it's not by wanting to let go. Of course, we all want to let go of our sense of self. But it's to me, each experience in each moment, that will clearly, at times, reveal that sense of non-grasping, of non-clinging, of non-identification with self-referencing. And therefore, the heart and mind incline then to touch the space of freedom. And freedom can arise any moment. And then we understand from that quality of heart and mind, there's an understanding of the empty nature of all things. And this comes progressively, very naturally. We let go then of expectation at times. There are moments we can let go of control. There are moments we can let go of hope and fear. Just receive the moment and allow awareness to be our greatest gift. Awareness has no preference, and awareness can lead the moment. And we can appreciate relaxing back into the simplicity of this gift of receptivity. I'd like just to end with a little story. It's not even a story. It's an example that my Tibetan teacher, my Tibetan lama, used to teach years ago. And the Tibetans often have this as, offer this as a basic practice to cultivate generosity. And it's done in the simplest way, that you would have an object, a very common, simple, everyday object in one hand. They use potatoes or turnips or carrots or you can take a spoon and you just hold it in one hand and you pass it to the other hand and from one hand to the other hand and just to notice they're very pragmatic the Tibetans very down to earth (laughs) to notice 
how it feels to let go from one hand to the other hand, passing from one hand to the other hand. So they start with very simple, very clearly simple objects of life. And then they take objects of greater value, like jewels and maybe money, just to see how it feels. And so that's an example in the sense of being able to just use this uh, little practice in the sense of letting go. How passing feels easy. I'd like to close with a few words from the Buddha. Just as a hundred-peaked lightning garland, thundering cloud, raining on the fertile earth, fills the plateau, even so, a person of conviction and learning, wise, having stored up provisions, gives to those in need, delighting in giving. That is his or her thunder, like a raining clouds that shower of merit, abundant, rains back on the one who gives. <laughs>